Chapter 16 of The Campfire Girls at Sunrise Hill. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by James K. White, Chula Vista. The Campfire Girls at Sunrise Hill by Margaret Vandercook. Chapter 16 Learning to Keep Step. Six weeks had passed by, and it was now early August in the New Hampshire hills. Six wonderful weeks for the campfire girls at Sunrise Hill, moving so swiftly that it seemed almost incredible so much time could have gone by. Everybody had kept well. Nothing had ruffled their harmonies, except occasional differences of opinion, which were easily adjusted. And yet Nan Graham had continued a member of the camp. By this time the new influences, in many ways, showed their effect upon her. At first she was inclined to use language that shocked and annoyed both the girls and their guardian. She was not lazy, and yet regular hours for work seemed irksome to her. She wanted to work when it was playtime, and play when work should be accomplished. And then her personal habits were not pleasant, but this was because she had never been taught better for very soon she grew to be as neat as any of her companions, and though her clothes were worn and shabby, they were carefully washed twice a week by her own hands, because she had fewer possessions than the other girls. In the beginning, Betty had given her several blouses and some underclothes, and would have done far more, except that Miss McMurtry advised her to cease. For it was not fair that Nan should not also learn a spirit of independence and the desire to earn her own way. Miss McMurtry hoped that the campfire might teach the girls this as one of its best lessons. Always we have believed that the American boy can make his own place in the world, given an education and a healthy body. Then why not the American girl as well, now that she is to have almost the same opportunity and encouragement? Notwithstanding that, there was one serious, indeed most serious, fault that the new campfire member had not yet managed to overcome. She was not always truthful. The stories she told did not appear to be malicious or very important. They merely explained why she was late when her hour came for work, how she had gained certain elective honors when no one was by to witness them, and yet they caused a general feeling of distrust when evidence upon a question depended solely on Nan's word. Miss McMurtry had talked to her many times, and always she had promised never to offend again, and yet a habit of untruthfulness is not so easily conquered. In reality, Polly O'Neill had more influence with the girl whose cause she had championed than anyone else in camp, so that once or twice Miss Martha had been tempted to ask Polly to talk to her, and then had given up the idea thinking that perhaps it was hardly fair for one girl to be told to lecture another. However, it was surprising to see how kind and sympathetic the little group of campfire members tried to be to their least fortunate member. And up to the present time, Miss McMurtry felt glad that she had yielded her first judgment in the matter and allowed Nan to stay on with them. Even Betty although unable to be intimate with a girl whose family connections and manners so tried her aristocratic soul, was always considerate, and certainly at the end of each week it had been Betty who had quietly paid Nan's share of their expenses without a word. 
that there had ever been a question of anyone else's doing it no one except betty polly and molly knew and just what polly had suffered at the end of each week when she had failed to fulfill her contract no one except a girl with exactly her disposition can understand for the money which she had spoken of so mysteriously to her sister and friend had up till now failed to materialize nevertheless polly had not lost hope but several times had assured betty that she would pay her the entire amount advanced for nan almost any day and the very fact that betty begged her not to think of this made her the more insistent thirteen was polly o'neill's lucky number possibly because it was regarded as an unlucky figure by other people polly had selected and cherished it for her own and with the irish ability to prove things because one wishes them to be true she could give a long list of happy events in her past history all taking place on the thirteenth day of the month besides had she and molly not been born on the thirteenth naturally fitting the date to her star so on the thirteenth of august although no one else in camp happened to have thought of that day of the month polly begged leave of their guardian to go alone into woodford on a most important errand the girls were not in the habit of going into town alone perhaps because the walk was a long one no one had ever wished before to go without company however there was no conspicuous objection since the way led through the webster farm and then on to the high road into the village and moreover polly insisted that her reason for wishing to go unaccompanied was a highly important one nevertheless with a slight feeling of discomfort miss mcmurtry saw her start off after lunch though the subject was not discussed she realized that polly o'neill was physically less strong than most girls and that her high spirits and nervous energy often gave a wrong impression today however polly seemed particularly well and curiously eager so that the other girls teased her all through luncheon endeavoring to find out the cause of her mysterious errand without gaining the least clue betty and molly were both offended by her secrecy in spite of her promise to tell them everything should matters turn out as she expected polly believed in destiny or at least in her own destiny as we all should but now and then fear taking possession her faith was less secure there had been a few of these hours in the past six weeks while she had prayed hoped and willed one thing but almost always she had believed in it with her whole heart waking at daylight on this morning of the thirteenth of august and seeing a particularly wonderful sunrise a curious wave of conviction had swept over her today she would see her desire fulfilled truly the day was a beautiful one a day for all lovely dreams to come true and as polly walked through the fields heavy and golden with the ripened grain the irish buoyancy of her temperament asserting itself made each object appear an omen of good luck the sight of a bluebird meant happiness of course the flight of a carrier pigeon the arrival of a longed-for message weary finally of thinking delightful things polly fell to reciting poetry aloud as a small girl and in spite of her mother's and sister's protests she had made up her mind to be an actress and had devoted all her spare hours to the memorizing of poetry and plays therefore there were many hours when she loved dearly to be alone just in order to repeat some of the lines over and over 
trying to read into them their deeper meaning, without an audience to be either bored or amused. Particularly had she loved and learned the strange musical Irish poetry of William Butler Yeats. Perhaps because the Irish believed in fairies, Polly did too, although she called her fairies by other names. Now, all alone in the yellow fields, she recited the closing lines of The Land of Heart's Desire, doing her level best to put into it some little portion of its mystical beauty. She was not altogether successful because she was only a girl without any training or knowledge of her art. But perhaps because of her youth, she was less afraid and filled with a sincere enthusiasm. The wind blows out of the gates of the day... The wind blows over the lonely of heart, and the lonely of heart is withered away, while the fairies dance in a place apart, shaking their milk-white feet in a ring, tossing their milk-white arms in the air. For they hear the wind laugh and murmur and sing of a land where even the old are fair, and even the wise are merry of tongue. But I heard a reed of Kulani say, when the wind has laughed and murmured and sung, the lonely of heart is withered away. And then, after having repeated her verse three times, and feeling that she was no nearer than at first to expressing its beauty, Polly found herself through the fields, and after passing by a small stretch of woodlands, would be out on the high road, and therefore no longer alone. And here, just at the entrance to the woodland, Polly's foot struck against something, and stooping over, she picked up from the ground the answer to her desire. Not the expected answer, but one that would do as well in its stead. Naturally, she forgot to be reasonable or sensible, forgot everything, save the good luck that seemed to come as an answer to prayer. At the village post office, she did not even think to ask for her mail, although stopping long enough to write a short letter to her mother, enclosing a portion of her discovery and asking that it be used to purchase a present for the new english cousin about whom her mother had lately written so much neither was there a confession made either to molly or betty or anyone else at camp that evening since it was far pleasanter to appear cloaked in mystery but polly secured peace for herself by bringing back with her a large basket of peaches to glorify their supper party and then later that evening quietly presented Betty with the amount in full advanced for Nan Graham's expenses. She said nothing about the way in which the money had been obtained, and although Betty was curious to know, good taste forbade her asking questions. End of chapter 16 Recording by James K. White, Chula Vista